0: circle in the square, on complementarity, recorded at Heartbreak Meadows, Northeast Oregon, May the 3rd, 2000. Our avian soloist uh, this morning is the song sparrow just recently returned to Heartbreak Meadow. Melospizza Melodia. A beautiful scientific name. This is talk number eight of our cycle on the shape of change. Here's a little improvised listing poem on our theme, on complementarity. Complementarity? Who can I tell about this? An eternal back and forth of sound and silence, light and dark, man and woman. Complementarity. Who can I tell about this? An eternal turning of loud and soft, of consonant and vowel, of rough. Who can I tell about this? That's complementarity. Break the string, and the children will no longer learn to sing and dance. No longer learn the healing plants or the names of the sacred springs. Break the string, and the stars at night will begin. The mountain pines forget to flower in spring. Who can I tell about this? complementarity well let's start over again shall we in the circle and the square taking movement as primary has a lot of implications one of which is that movement meaning and energy are seen as really three ways of looking at at the same whole. So we've been going around that circle, the 12 primary concepts and understanding the shape of change. So although we're talking a lot about uh, music and living sound, and especially the movement of living sound that we call new exploratory music well we're also doing poetry and dancing when we step back in a wider circle understanding the shape of change is about is about the whole of nature well here we are seated at heartbreak meadow it's about 6:30 in the morning natural time And there are a myriad, that's a beautiful word, thousands upon thousands of perfectly spherical dewdrops on all of the fresh green, the primavera, the first green of spring. So I'm up here doing field photography, studying climate crisis, studying um, both native and invasive flora and making photographs of different kinds, both art and documentary photographs. So dew point is one of the things we watch. I'm giving it much more attention than in the past. Why? With climate crisis it's become just like the jet stream, relevant in a new way because we're seeing patterns of movement. See, there you have it. Patterns of movement that we've never seen before. With climate crisis, wet will get wetter and dry, drier. So this is a dry place. So the anticipation is that it will get drier. So it's possible the weather we have right now, it's the 7th of May, feels very much just intuitively like uh, summer solstice so it's a good three or four degrees celsius centigrade to warm the climate average so we're trying to understand movement. So we're getting back we'll come back to the circle and the square but um, let's use the dew drops as a clock a natural when the dew drops are gone we'll stop our talk and perhaps in with some more beautiful music isn't that song sparrow just an absolute wonder and joy we'll come back to that music as well dew drops so how much water does our ear hold well it's an ever going cycle going from dry to wet So we have that one little miniature. Let's do a little bit of review. If we go around the circle very quickly, you learn it in talking hands, talking feet to do it as a kind of dance. So we have difference at the top, complementarity, qualitative ground. Then we go into density, directionality, constant variable. And then we have one that we could easily talk about with the music that we just heard at the header, the top of this talk. Sync, async, smooth, rough, simple, complex, the simplexity cycle. And then the last three, continuous, discrete, hologarchy, we could start there. That's very related to complementarity. The order of the whole, oligarchy. no longer just top down. We can use hierarchy when we need it. That's an important musical concept sometimes but only sometimes. Hologarchy, the order of the whole, both top-down, bottom-up. And the one that is the most difficult to understand for us Westerners, the somatic constant, the fully embodied art or music or poetry or dance. The universal somatic constant. So that's where yoga and Alexander Technique come to the fore. So that's the whole of the circle. Those are 12 primary concepts. So complementarity, to touch on that, again, is about, you can hear it in the word, complementarity. Complete. It's about uh, uh, completing the whole of the dance. So in the circle and the square, one of our primary ways of mapping movement is nested circles, circles within circles within circles. So you have a difference and immediately you have a circle because the difference cannot really be thought of without the map of context. So difference within a context. So we're looking at these dewdrops. Well, in order to understand that, we have to have the context of relevant uh, other differences like altitude, temperature, and all the rest of it. So it's marvelous to look at because they are each one completely complete. So complementarity, yin-yang, man-woman, light-dark, sound, silence. They're always formally, we say, co that they define each other. And without two, we would not have the circle, the one, the cycle. Hmm? Without two, we would not have one. So if we step back from the circle and the square and place that in a wider context, philosophically, it's firmly rooted in a wider circle um, that um, is explored in that other project, the theater, of the new and dialogue circle. So, three primary miniatures for that dialogue circle, well, here's one Uh, for science, art, and religion, a kind of new spirituality. So they're both, all three of them start with exactly the same rhetorical phrase science science is not science or the title of it is really as uh, the spirit of science in the age of denial that's an interesting title i don't know if you've noticed in hushed tones But in this current age of denial, not only we're denying the arts, of course, anybody who does contemporary music understands that, or contemporary poetry, we're out on some sort of worthless periphery. But science, good golly. The faces of leading scientists nowadays are looking so, it's a new use of the word weathered forlorn, worn out. You see, to deny something is to take away its life energy, its oxygen. So it's a very dangerous tendency. But anyway, the spirit of science in the age of denial, up here at Heartbreak Meadow, that doesn't touch us. We're firmly seated in the circle of nature. We're making a lot of mistakes, obviously, but hopefully truth and function and self-correcting correction will tune us up as we go along so this is just a phase we're going through this denial the spirit of science in the age of denial so it begins with a rhetorical phrase all three of them this is a good way to summarize where we've been on the previous seven talks science is not its content so I'm asking is that true science is not its content Science is a way of being. So feel the energy. Science is not its content. Science is a way of being that questions everything. Now doesn't that make you feel proud? It certainly does for myself. A way of being that questions everything. So when one breath All the authoritarians, please step aside. Try to be serious. Do you think I'm going to listen to your propaganda? No, please step aside. But also contemporary music, please step aside. We need a music that is aligned with science, with truth, with a new kind of spirituality that questions everything and is willing to drop an idea, a way of looking, a theory, if contradicted by fact. Now, isn't that wonderful? That, sirs, is truth in function, what we don't have in the arts. And science only partially has. Why? Because science are just hum- scientists are just human beings. So they'll hold on to things in an irrational way, just because of ego, career, and all the rest of it. So we're looking at that. That questions everything and is willing to drop an idea if contradicted by fact. That's what we don't do in music. If the music isn't right, well, how are we going to know that? You figure it out. If the music isn't right, why don't we just drop it instantly? We don't. For the very same reasons. Attachment to the known ego, career, and all the rest of it. That is how science is self-correcting. Is firmly grounded in truth and function. And then in my own view, this is how the miniature ends. It's the greatest gift of Western culture to the world. And we have readers now that are denying our greatest gift to the world. How did it come to pass? Well, if we keep going, the second one is going to be more difficult. So we question everything, right? that has a fierce quality of non-personal energy about it that's liberating. We just want to understand, not the past, but the now, these dewdrops. What's the rhythm of these dew drops with climate crisis? Well, in a hotter, drier climate, there's less water in the atmosphere, right? So these plants, everything here, we're looking at sulfur, zinc foil, there's an Achillea, a yarrow, there's some rose hips, other grasses, other forbs, and we're surrounded by larches, dug fir, great ponderosa pine, white fir, grand fir, there's hawthorn over there. Well, they're all suffering here, if you know your trees. This is still the outsounding of Tree of Life Day, May the 1st. There should be music written for Tree of Life Day. Everybody comes in to colonize it. Watch out for the Pope. Watch out for Labor Day. (laughs) Nothing wrong with having Labor Day on May the 1st, but it really is Tree of Life, vastly more important. It's a celebration of the earth, three-quarters or three-eighths, rather, of the solar year. Well, everything up here is suffering because of a hotter, drier climate. Don't take my word for it. Come and see it for yourselves. So we're going to be coming back to complementarity. So we're dancing around the complete, the whole circle of trying to understand the shape of change. But sometimes we have to pull back and look at the wider context. So then it becomes more a kind of spiritual philosophy, looking at the very most basic, the very most important things, like Emerson said, in the simplest of possible ways, like Buckminster Four also said. So there are dew drops. As the temperature rises, the air can hold more water. So they'll gradually, that perfect, each one perfect in itself. It's wonderful to make photographs. Of the whole the becoming prisms, splitting apart the light into a rainbow. But each one is perfect in itself. Imagine having notes of a melody sounding just like that. So there's religion, questioning everything. Religion is not its content, it's a way of being that has nothing to do with belief or scripture or authority of any kind, so there goes the Bible, there goes the Pope, there goes the Buddha, everything is out. So we're cleaning house, it has nothing to do with the past, but rather with the intention to live a life without conflict, without contradiction, without waste. this movement of taking away, of negation, there's that truth and function again of self-correction. For musicians, it's easy. It's just tuning your instrument. It's ex- it's not similar. It's exactly the same. Just tuning. But how do you know what a perfect fist is, huh? Hmm? If we're conditioned to the map of equal temperament, well, we have to retune our ears to rediscover that. So we question it, right? No conclusions. We're questioning this taking away of negation. That's all the Alexander Technique does. That's why it's so powerful. It's simply taking away unnecessary tension. Yoga is the same, it's simply untying knots. This movement of taking away, of negation, is what makes this new way of looking at religion, this new religion, this religion, the spirituality, like science, it helps it transcend the trap of self-deception. So we're not attacking organized religion. We're questioning the whole of it. The trap of self-deception. Well, we can be trapped in self-deception in the arts as well. Once we get stuck in these camps, these cults, of a certain kind of way of doing music and then we have to defend ourselves that uh, our way of doing it is better than your way of doing well then we're just as lost as the people stuck in organized religion transcending the trap of self-deception And then, excuse me, the third of those miniatures that go together as a trio, a triangle, is art in an age of spiritual confusion are we spiritually confused as a culture? Well, I would say we're confused basically about everything. Looking out on these dewdrops, disappearing into the very greatest, as the earth turns. So we're looking almost directly into the seven o'clock natural time sun. It's getting warmer and warmer, far too warm for this time of year. Now what happens when it totally dries? No dew drops in the morning. I never thought I would see that at altitude, but that's what's happening. So if you get week after week of it being so dry that the air is not giving moisture anymore as it is now, But it's actually sucking the moisture out of the plants, out of the very soil upon which we stand and sit. That's dry. And that's when this place becomes ready to blow up in explosive wildfires. Great scientists in Montana are trying to figure out the new physics of this new kind of wildfire in the Pacific Northwest that people have never seen before. An entire hectare, it's almost as if it implodes, explodes outside of time. An entire hectare can go up in flames in an instant. It's so dry and so hot. Well, imagine that. So art in an age of spiritual confusion Art is not its content, art is a way of being. So I'm asking, is this true? And it's rhetorical, obviously. The header, the top of this talk, it has a kind of sound, which to me personally, that's the qualitative ground on our shape of change, the qualitative temporal and spatial ground That's the emotional energy, without trying to define it too precisely, of a sound, a movement, a poem. Well, there's something very mysterious going on with tones, how they mix together in complex holes. And don't forget in the circle and the square, we say atonality doesn't exist. All there is, is living sound. So instead of thinking thinking in terms of tonality, we think in terms of the simplexity cycle, simple to complex. Very much like some of our avian soloists that we've been featuring. Without thinking about it, that's one of the uh, reasons we do that. Many bird species, as we talked about, before, move in a marvelously rhythmic way between simple and complex, simple, pure, what we call an acoustic sinus flute-like tones to modulated percussive, sustained percussive like uh, frequency modulated tones. Our song, Sparrow, certainly does that. Let's listen to that again. Isn't that beautiful? You see, we need continuous and discrete too. How many different time spaces is he going through? Isn't that beautiful? Well, you can see that uh, we're being rhetorical in that miniature for a particular reason, to stop our normal way of thinking. So art is not its content. Art is a way of being, obviously, content. That's the music of the Song Sparrow that we're listening to, right, is crucial. But we're stepping back from that. So art is not its content. Art is a way of being that aligns, that attunes, they're both ways of saying the same thing, that aligns, that attunes itself with the good, the beautiful, and the harmonious. Or we could simply say true, that aligns itself with truth, the ground of truth, that which is beyond thought Beyond all maps, beyond all measure, beyond all science, beyond all knowing. So, how do we know that we're truth and function? Transcending the trap of self deception purely by taking away. Notice that much contemporary art is still caught in that rage against the machine. <laughs> that you'll take noise and scratching up LPs and things like that to demonstrate a kind of protest. Well, in the circle and the square, the energy of outrage is crucially important. We're not saying no to that energy, we're embracing it wholly. But at the same time, we're devoting ourselves to beauty harmony, and truth. Many people are seeing this just anecdotally. I remember the fine Dutch composer Louis Andresen saying, a new kind of beauty, but well, that's a good way to say it, to honor the fact that it's new, it's contemporary, but that doesn't mean it's ugly. <laughs> So, art is not its content. Art is a way of being, and we'll do it very simply. Art is a way of being that attunes itself to truth. And then it goes on and gets very difficult. Militant resistance to all ugliness, there you have it. Militant resistance to all ugliness, all violence, All that dehumanizes the cultural landscape is how art, like science, see we could say transcends the trap of self-deception. But in this miniature we say is self-correcting, is self-purifying. So we're talking about complementarity which is another way about talking about complete, completion, wholeness, about talking about the living whole. Well, coming to the whole without projecting an idea of what wholeness in music or sound or poetry or dance is about, we're doing it, we're approaching it negatively. By taking away. So we're looking at these marvelous dewdrops. The earth is turning. Talk about a marvelous hole from west to east. So as it turns, these dewdrops are picking up more and more of that radiant energy. So art is not its content. So that kind of purifies the air, doesn't it? We're stepping back from all known musics because we want something new. We want a new poetry, we want a new dance. That doesn't mean we're not cognizant of the past and respectful and give it our intense study, but it's in a new spirit. If it's not relevant to what we're making right here, right now, then we don't do it, because we can't afford to waste that energy. So, complementarity. The whole, the dance of the whole. So, like difference, complementarity is what you could call a meta-concept. It's a concept about concepts. It's kind of a cumbersome term, but it's clear. It is about all of the different concepts and understanding the shape of change. So when we take movement as primary, how does that one miniature go? Form emerges out of movement. It's not the other way around. These dewdrops are a form, right? Magnificent form. Little perfect teardrop, perfect spheres. I'm sure they must resonate with sound in a unique way, but they're so small it would be difficult to manifest that. So these dewdrops, as a form are emerging out of a deeper movement. So in the circle and the square, we give attention to both, both the form and the underlying movement, which is in a way more primary, right, that generates the form. It would be easy to look at these dewdrops and say, well, where are they coming from? Well, then you could say it has nothing to do with temperature or how much the relationship of relative humidity and all the rest of it with air. But it has to do with the time of day. So we could think that, well, there are little fairies that come around and touch all the grass petals and gyro leaflets and sink foil coming up. And each time they touch it, we get a little dewdrop, And because the fairies disappear, well, you get the idea. <laughs> it would make a nice little children's story but they're disappearing as we speak. That's our natural clock. Well, these forests are disappearing as we speak too. All that militant resistance to all that dehumanizes the cultural landscape of our third miniature Militant resistance. That means we just don't lay down and let the tanks roll over us, being totally committed to the widest circle of nonviolence. But it does, it does resist. First and foremost, I think, with clarity. So as things up here dry out, they're going to blow up. How does the saying go? If we burn it all, we melt it all. Burn all the hydrocarbons. So if you're a musician or a poet and still use hydrocarbons in an intensive way with cars or with the heating of your home or universe, I would question the whole thing. Can you still be a poet and drive a car? Well, in the circle, and the square, no. If you want to understand North America philosophically, the most crucial thing you can do is step resolutely out of car culture. So there is, and to our way of looking, a profound ethical dimension, a profound right action dimension in responsibility to doing art. First and foremost, I would say, in education in its most general sense. So not just young people, although that is the primary task. It's about learning. It's about listening. Which are, what, are they different? No, they're the same. Learning and listening are one in the same thing. Without defining it, we're looking at what's in the way. Well, hydrocarbon man is in the way of everything. It is by far the most distortive factor in the circle of culture. Is that true? I'm asking it as a question. But don't take my word for it. It's like Zen meditation or Alexander Technique. You can't possibly understand the technique if you don't actually do it. That's what makes it so difficult to understand, impossible really, intellectually. It's like the beauty of a Baha Cantata. Well, we can just talk about it, right? But to really know it by heart? The marvelous complementarity of a cantata work as a whole? Well, what are some of the primary complementarities? So that music is nearly 300 years old. So one of the first that I think has to be reawakened is the complementarity of simple to complex and back again. So complementarity, there you have it, the order of the whole. It always has to do about balance, balance of living, flowing movement. So our model is always up here, firmly seated in in the circle of nature, water. Water and flowing movement, moving from the highest snowfields and glaciers and springs, and gradually this movement of coming together a branch of riblets and rills and becoming more and more and more powerful, always following one very simple limit, that it's always flowing down, and yet infinitely interesting and complex and beautiful. So Bach is that just by chance that in German Bach means stream, water in flowing movement. So what is rush and repose in Bach? So balance. Complementary is always about finding balance. Just It's not complicated. Don't forget, <laughs> that's unnecessary difficulty, right? That's wasting energy. That's like thinking in terms of sound and atonality or something god-awful, distortive concept like that. So simple and complex, how is that manifest? Well, in Bach there's always a tendency towards complicatedness with its infatuation of the period and counterpoint. I always think of the Pergolesi, the Staba Mata, that Bach got his hands on. Of course, uh, nowadays people would say copyright, copyright, but they would copy everything, like copying all the concerti the what was it Opus four, Opus seven, I can't remember, Stravaganza Bivaldi. Just copying it outright and and making organ versions. I mean it's just wonderful the energy. When you find something new and beautiful you just devour it whole. Talk about complementarity. So what is complementarity in Bach There's always a tendency to become complicated with counterpoint, right? You can take that only so far. Evidently, it's very difficult to go beyond six voices. Why does that number six, like the number 12, why does that keep recurring in the world of nature and proportion? That's just a question. But counterpoint, um, that complexity at a certain point longs for completion as man longs for woman and woman longs for man, masculine feminine principles. It's universal in nature. It's longing for a kind of completion. Listen to Plato's symposium as they go around the circle of the hall and all the drunken brilliant uh, men give their uh, uh, storytelling version of Eros. And one of the most beautiful, I can't remember who said it, is the longing for completion. Well, what Bach longs for in terms of completion is what? Is the beauty of the one voice, the single voice, the chorale, the hymn. So, from hymn, you can't understand the hymn without the four part fugue. Of the introduction. So you can listen to the whole great Mateus going all as a cycle, going from expanding to the limits of counterpoint and taking it back to what? The somatic constant of the human voice. All that dehumanizes the cultural landscape. Well, Bach participated in that dehumanization as well, in a very, very interesting subtle way. How, by once you move music from the body of the physical instrument in the voice, to drumming, singing, percussion, and dancing, into that of the harpsichord, and eventually into the keyboard, the clavier, and then, heaven forbid, into equal temperament in the grand piano, well then, you get das wohl-temperierte Klavier. And there is a tragic flaw there somewhere that is beyond what we're talking about right now. So bring it back to complementary. You see, we're moving away from the voice. The further we move away from the voice, what do we risk? What do we risk as our dewdrops are about ready to disappear? Breaking apart, complementarity. Breaking apart, the whole. So we're looking at the loss of the whole. We're not saying what the whole is. Can equal? Yes, of course. Equal temperament is. Uh, is a part, is a limited way of thinking about uh, having, mixing sounds together. But it has many limits and many um, negative aspects to it as well. So we're looking at that. Simple to complex of hymn to counterpoint and back again. Well, show me the contemporary, there's no contemporary music that has that just as we very quickly in the Western tradition lost the sense of counterpoint that we spoke about before of Beethoven and Mozart trying to get that counterpoint back. Well, by the time of the great Charles Ives, counterpoint had been totally reborn and fully emerged into a new created potential that transcends that of Bach. So we're not talking about the talents and the accomplishments of composers. We're talking about the generative, creative quality of what? Of ideas. Of ideas, complementarity breaking apart the whole. How did Ives do that, the last great American transcendentalist? Well, what is it? It, uh, down here, we have smooth and rough sync async. Synchronous, asynchronous, smooth, rough, constant variable. So how do you put together, so we're talking about measures when we're down there in those, using those concepts. So a new notion of musical measures that is very similar to the order of nature, Here it's already, noticed too warm for the songbirds to sing. Our recently arrived song sparrow. Well, it's probably resting in the riparian stream bank periphery, water and flowing movement. There are many birds that only sing in those areas and you almost never see them. Think of that. They like to be heard, but not seen. We should respect that, I think. So Ives, all these movements going on at the same time, One piece that is really worth intensive study is Over the Pavements, with that marvelous uh, three in the time of five. And not only taking it there, but uh, playing with it, um, good golly, when was that piece written? I think about 1909, but that's always difficult to say, but it makes no difference, but it predates the European revolutions of the Rite of Spring. Or right around that same wave of energy, rogue wave of energy. Having those movements going on at the same time. So that transcends Bach in a new kind of counterpoint with multiple meters going on at the same time. Well, up here, the order of movement, we have multiple meters going on all the time, but the deeper, they're not synchronized in terms of uh, our very simple form of musical notation, like four, four, three, four, or even having three in the time of five, like we have with Charles I. But the meters are uncoupled so they go on happily at the same time, and it is very much richer order of movement. But if we bring that into complementarity, synchronous, asynchronous, we're going to do a whole talk on that, but they are correlative. You can't become sensitive to synchronous music, like the whole of Bach or uh, multi-metered music like uh, much of Ives and into this new that it becomes asynchronous. This movement of moving back and forth, well that is complementarity, right? So asynchronous longs for synchronicity and synchronicity for balance longs for asynchronous so it really is a new kind of beautiful to have that balance to have and find that living balance so our dewdrops are just about uh, gone and we should bring it to an end here, simply with the question, how did the arts become so fragmented? So what is the primary fragmentation? Well, we have, like we say, the circle of nature, and we have the circle of culture. That's the way of looking. It's very simple yet very powerful. So we're asking how they are in harmony with each other, or how they're not in harmony, not tuned. And so it's no different than tuning the string of a cello. That's always like asking a question, is it right? Yeah, that sounds, that's right. It doesn't have to be perfect, but we can move with that. Well, the arts in nature, they're not only totally fragmented from each other, but ethically they could be in outright conflict with each other. In a subtle way, similar to the artifacts of hydrocarbon man, are always in conflict with nature. So they're generating pollution. They're poisoning the land, sea, air, water, earth. They're poisoning us. Lord knows how much of endocrine disruption which is affecting the whole of Creator, not just human beings, endocrine disruption, is responsible, is caused by um, hydrocarbon pollution? That's a serious question. And, of course, climate crisis. How much more carbon can we put up into the atmosphere? So we want an art that's firmly rooted in that circle, and no, we're not going to go that way. So negation can be very difficult. Why? Because ethics. Can be very difficult. And we're talking to ourselves up here, right? Is this true? And we'll end with that as our dewdrops disappear into the warming morning air. The greatest of all possible freedoms is the freedom to stop doing, regardless of the short-term difficulties thereby encountered, that which is contradictory or wrong. So in a meditation dialogue circle like this, that's the basis of the circle and the square, we say, well, that, that's why ethics is so difficult and why we would rather live without it if we can be so spoiled that we don't look at the consequences of our actions. Well, living sound, does that shape? Yes. Living sound shapes the human being. We shape the world and the world shapes us. What we put out into the world in terms of art, the artifacts, the music, the movement, the dance, the poetry, makes a profound difference. in how we see and experience the world. So that circle of nature and the circle of culture, all we have to do are to is turn turn the pegs of culture until we get it right. Isn't that Amazing that it's so simple. And the only reason why we don't do that is because we're holding on to the past. And we think that's easier. In the short term, it is. But it's really a kind of prison. Okay. Let's sound out with a little bit more of that song sparrow and that sound we heard at the header. Thanks for listening. This is Cliff for The Circle and the Square. Ciao for now.